So how are you doing today? You guys uh, doing well? Uh, yeah, looks good. Nine o'clock, man, they, they needed something. They needed something. I took a five-hour energy right before the service. Like, uh, I, I came in, and I saw a friend out in the parking lot. I said, how are you feeling today? I said, I'm really tired. I don't know why. Uh, I got up. I worked out, plyometrics, get my blood going, right? You know, but I'm just tired. He's like, have you tried these, like, Kirkland, you know, five-hour energy? Well, I've tried the regular kind. We'll try one. And so I actually felt pretty good, you know, by 9 o'clock. But it was good. I was trying to send them my vibe. You know, I was trying to, like, I actually stopped in the service. I said, okay, here it comes. You ready? Mm, you know, because they needed some help. But... Uh, it's glad it's so much easier uh, speaking to the alive than the dead. So I thanks for being here, uh, and uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. But then the service actually woke up. Jesus came, met them, but uh, it was like Easter two weeks early for them. But uh, anyway, uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching. Inside your program is a, a green and white message note sheet. If you're new, you won't, you may not know that. Want to take that out? Help you follow along. If you guys are all set, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's go. Father, we're just so thankful to be here and to continue this epic journey you have us on as a church. God, we are just excited to see what you're going to say, what we're going to learn today as we take this next step. So we pray that you would be here strong, your spirit would be thick, that you would speak with great clarity and power, that your word would go forth like a double-edged sword that just kind of splits between all of our reservations, our defenses, opens us up so we can be set free to live this new life. And we pray in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this new series that we started about three weeks ago, and it's called Epic Living the Vision. And for those of you who are new, this is actually the second of a two-part series that is based on a study of a letter from a man in the New Testament, an apostle named Apostle Paul, to a group of Christ followers who are centered around the ancient city of Ephesus, which would be in modern-day Turkey, kind of one major city in the Roman Empire, one of the most important cities about a quarter million strong when he wrote this. And so uh, in, the, in the first series that we did on uh, the letter of the Ephesians, which was called Epic the Vision, Paul shares his epic vision that God has for all of creation. And he says that when you become a follower of Jesus, you discover you're actually part of this storyline. You have an important part to play. And so he's laid out this epic vision of who we are and, in Christ and what we've been called to be and so on. And now as we move into the second series, Epic Living the Vision, Paul's going to get very uh, practical, and he's going to talk about what does it look like to live out this epic life uh, that we're called to live uh, in everyday life. And so today we come to one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament. It's an amazing passage. And Paul says the key to this renovation, the key to this uh, kind of remodel of our lives, living an epic life, the key is really learning to rethink kind of our whole approach to life. And, and uh, so he's going to kind of, kind of unpack that for us. But uh, we're going to start today at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We're going to go through 424. So if you have your Bible, you have your apps, why don't you open up, turn them on, and we're going to jump in. There in your note sheets, a section called Epic uh, Rethink, and that's where we're going to be. And so let's jump in. So he starts off verse 17, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. And so Paul Remember, all through Ephesians, Paul has kind of highlighted that he's not speaking on his own, that he is speaking as a messenger, as an apostle of Jesus with his authority. And so we come down to this very practical section of the book. He wants to reframe that up again, and that this instruction I'm about to give you is not my opinion. Uh, I'm speaking on the authority of Jesus. This is in the Lord. Right? So he says, so I, uh, I, I, I tell you this, I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility 
of their thinking. So remember that before these people had come to Christ, these were Gentiles, right? Paul's writing to Gentile Christ followers around Ephesus. These were not Jews for the most part. They were not grown up going to synagogue. They're not grown up with the word of God. So they didn't grow up with the moral code and lifestyle of a Jewish person. They'd grown up in the wild and crazy, kind of sexually explicit, promiscuous Roman Empire. We'll talk about that later. And he says, now that you've come to Jesus, uh, if you're going to experience this life that, that he has for you, you need to leave your old ways of thinking behind. He says, the, rea- he says, the reason is, is because the world, this, this old Gentile world, it's characterized by a futility of thinking. And it's a strong word in Greek. I won't, I won't give it to you. It's real hard to spell. But it's, it's a strong word that could be translated futility. But let me give you some synonyms. It could be uh, worthless. It could be emptiness. It can be frustrating. It can be lacking purpose. Those would be synonyms. So he says that you, you came to Christ at this old way of thinking, and he says it was just futile. It was empty. It was worthless. You've come to Jesus, and so now if you're going to move in this epic life, you have to learn to kind of rethink your whole life. And so now he's going to tell us a little bit more about these, this Gentile culture that they'd come out of there in Ephesus. And he says in verse 18, he says, uh, the Gentiles, he said, they're darkened in their understanding. And I want you to catch this. He says the problem with this non-believing Gentile world is that they're living life in the dark. They, they don't really know what's going on. They're darkening their understanding. And he says that they're, they're also, they're separated from the life of God. So he said that, you know, as a race, we were created to live in the presence of God. In the, in the, as a race, we were uh, designed to, to live life to the full. But when we rebelled against God as a race, as we saw in our last series, uh, we lost that life. We moved into death. When you're separated from life, you're dead. And so we, we've kind of lost that life. And of course, this is why Jesus has come. He has come. He said, I have come that you might have life and life of the full. So he's come to restore that life. But he says, the Gentiles, they don't know about that. And so they're separated from the life of God. And then he goes on and he says, the separation is because of the ignorance. Notice that word again. So we've got darkened in their understanding. Uh, we've, we've got, um, uh, and now we have ignorance. The ignorance is in them but it's due to the hardening of their hearts. And so they're, they're culpable for this darkness. It's not just like they're just in the dark, but they're culpable for it because of their hardness of hearts. And so what Paul is talking about here is, is a process, and we're not going to go uh, look it up at the passage that's on your note sheet unless you want to check it out later, but I just want to do a quick sidebar. Paul talks about this process of hardening a heart in Romans 1 and 2. In Romans 1 and 2, Paul lays out kind of a spiritual history of the human race. And he says that when you and I are born, we are all born with an innate knowledge, a spiritual intuitive knowledge of two things. Number one, we have an innate intuitive knowledge that there is a creator. We all have it. You may learn to deny this. You may later become an atheist. We're all born. As you look around at creation, you look at the complexity, you look at the beauty, obviously someone had to make this. right? So we all intuitively know there is a creator, he said, the second thing is, we're all born with a moral north star, that we all have an internal sense of right and wrong, a moral compass. And he said, but the problem with the human race is we have rejected the truth about who God is and who we are uh, because we don't want to be under the authority of that God. We want to be our own God. We want to create gods in our own image. Let us do what we want. And we don't want to follow this internal moral compass because we want to follow these fallen human desires that are part of our fallen human nature. He says, so, so what happens is as a race, he says, what you have 
the, the truth about God and the truth about how, who we are and the path of life, he says we turn away from that light that we have, and he said that we pursue the darkness because we can get away from that light. We can do what we want. He says, but as we do this, the lights go out spiritually. Obviously, you move towards the light, it gets brighter. You move away from the light, it gets darker, right? And so he says, so we often talk about here this at Rocky Peak. It's just such a core, uh, pivotal, and in, in some ways, the most important spiritual principle of life that, that when you move towards the light, like when God shows you something in your life and you move towards that light and you embrace it, you get more light. As you move towards the light, things get brighter, more enlightenment, all right? But when you reject the light because you don't like what it says, you turn away, you get more dark. You're darkened in your understanding. So Paul says this is what's happened to the human race. Now, here he uses the term to describe that process as hardening of heart. And this is what the, the Bible's description, what I call the dimmer switch principle. When you move towards the light, it gets turned up. When you move away, it turns down. The Bible calls that process hardening of heart. And so we've all had this experience in the, like, uh, if you haven't worked out in the yard or worked with your hands for a long time, you go out and you dig ditches all day, you get blisters, right? Because your hands are telling you, we don't like this. <laughs> your hands say, this is hurt, stop doing this. This is bad. But if you persist in doing it and you keep doing that every Saturday for a few weeks, you, you get what? You get calluses and no longer, you no longer feel the pain, Right? And, and what the Bible says the same way with God is that we're, we have, we're born with more of a sensitive heart to who God is and to what, the path to life. But he says, but if you resist that long enough, it's like your heart becomes hard. It's like a callous, and you can no longer hear God speaking. So now you can do what you want because you don't hear it anymore. It doesn't, there's no, it doesn't cause pain. You know how that is? Like when you do something wrong, you feel guilt, you feel pain. That's designed to help you turn around. But if you continue to resist that, you'll build up a callous on your heart and so then it doesn't bother you anymore. You can do what you want. And Paul says that is why the Gentile world is the way it is. They're, they're darkened in their understanding. They're living in ignorance. It's because of the hardness of heart, you see? And so he says, okay, so he goes on then in verse 19. And he says, so having lost all what? Sensitivity. You, you know, hearts, you know your, your heart's hardened. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality. And so what he's talking about here is illicit sexuality. Now, we're not going to go into this great detail, but you know, we've taught on this before many times, as followers of Jesus, we know that sex is a good thing. Sex is, is given to a, a gift as a gift to bond together one man, one woman, for a lifetime of love and commitment, which is what we call marriage, right? And it's very powerful. He says, but what happened to the human race is you turn against God and you turn against who you are, you start looking for something to give you meaning and fulfillment in life. And the most powerful human experience, at least one of them, is sexuality. So you start looking for illicit sexuality. You take sex outside of the bonds of marriage, you start pursuing sensuality. The problem is that sex was never designed to be a God. It was never designed to, to, to solve, the, you know, to kind of solve the deepest hunger of the human heart. So the more you pursue illicit sexuality, the more you become uh, kind of sexually addicted, the more you become sexually confused. And so Paul talks about this in Romans 1 again. He says when you reject the truth about who God is and they reject the truth about uh, who we are, what happens is you start moving towards sensuality. You have increased sexual confusion, uh, sexual addiction. And, and so you're you kind of always looking for something new to scratch that itch that we have in our heart, but that it, it won't solve it. And so you become increasingly addicted. 
And so this is what he says in verse 19. He says, having lost all sensitivity to God and to what's right and wrong, uh, he says, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so to indulge in every kind of impurity, catch this, with a continual lust for more. In other words, the farther, the farther you turn away from the light, the more dark you become over in the darkness, you keep searching more down that path for something to satisfy. This is why in our culture, this is a path we're on in our culture right now, when you look at the path. If you look at our, the last 50 years of our culture, you can see this descent into sensuality, can't you? Like you look, at the, you look back to the 60s with the birth of the sexual revolution, right? And, and where we've come from there to now, and you can see this in our TV shows, you can see like what was shown then to what was shown now. If you were to graph that, it would be a steady decline down. And Paul says it's very predictable. It's no surprise. In fact, it's not going to get better. Unless our, our nation turns back to Jesus, it's going to continue to get worse. And things that are okay now or are, are off limits now won't be off limits then. Come back in 10 years, you'll be shocked. Because he says, this is just the way it is. When you turn away from the light, you pursue the darkness, you go into sensuality, and there's a continual lust for more. Let's try this. That doesn't satisfy. Let's try this. It doesn't satisfy. It's like that famous theologian Mick Jagger once said. <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction. You keep looking for it, but you can't get it. Right? And so you see in our culture, right, as we've, we've gone from a, a culture where marriage was held in kind of high regard, at least in general, not that everyone followed it, I understand that, but at least in high, you know, and you watch where we've gone, we've become a culture of one night stands, a culture of hookups, and this is the younger you go generationally, the more this is true, it's a culture of hookups, it's a culture where our, uh, you know, high, uh, middle schoolers, elementary, are sending nude pictures of themselves to other friends. How did this happen? Like how do we, we, we have gone from a, a culture that's kind of held up marriage as the norm, and this is what we should, now we've gone to a culture, there's what, threesomes, uh, there's bisexuality, there's homosexuality, there's kind of transvestite kind of approach to sexuality. We've become this culture where sex trafficking has become a way of a, a normal uh, description of life. And why is that? Because, uh, you know, if there wasn't, like in our country, if there wasn't a drive for illicit sexuality, there would be no sex trafficking issue. The reason there's a sex trafficking issue in our culture is because there's a market for illicit sex. You look at our culture today and you look at uh, a movie that's like Fifty Shades of Grey comes out and the world is looking for something to satisfy. Maybe if we beat up on one another, that will satisfy, you see? And that movie, you know, box office hit, and, 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 and what happens is it, it edges out one of the top movies that have been released on that date historically, which is The Passion of the Christ. And, and so, uh, so what's happening, you know, we, we live in a culture now where uh, our young, uh, youngest children, elementary and middle school kids, are exploring sexuality, and having sexual experiences, and you say, where is this going? I'm telling you, it's going downhill. It's going further because Paul says, this is the way it works. When you turn away from God, you turn away from the moral North Star, 
He said, this is where you try it in our culture today. Try in a conversation at work to any sexual activity that's being discussed. I think that's wrong. There's only a couple things in our culture today that most people would agree are wrong. One's sex with kids, sex with animals. Um, let me tell you something. That will change. It will change. It will change because, because Paul says this is the way it works. But here's what he says. This is who you were. He says, you were in the Gentile world. This is the lifestyle you all live. You've come to Jesus now, and so you're going to have to learn to rethink all of your life if you want to experience this epic life God has for you. And so in verse 20 then, he goes on, and he says, you, however, so we're making a break now. He says, you, you've come out of that world. This is where you were. It was your world. But he says, you, however, you did not come to know Christ that way. When you came to Jesus, that's not what you were taught. And it's interesting because he's going to, be, he's going to begin to use a lot of catches teaching language. And this is very interesting. It's the only place in all of Paul's writings, 13 letters, only place where he does this. He's going, he's going to talk about our growth as followers of Jesus as if we're in the school of Jesus. We're coming to the school of Jesus, and we're being taught by Jesus, and he's our model, and he's using this analogy. And it's really interesting because I don't know if this is why, but what we do know from the book of Acts is that Paul spent more time in Ephesus than any other location, three years. And we know that while he was there, he rented out a school hall every afternoon called the School of Tyrannus, and he taught people about Jesus. I don't know if that's why, but, but scholars have pointed this out, that all this teaching truth language is going to come up now, a kind of school of Jesus language. And he says, verse 20, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. So look, we're moving from ignorance to knowledge. Surely you've heard of him. You were taught in him, the teaching language, in accordance with the truth, see, truth language, something dark is the truth that's in Jesus. And so when you come to Jesus, you step out of darkness into light, into truth, and so you are taught, there it is again, with regard to your former way of life, the way you used to live as Gentiles, to put off your old self. And so Paul now is introducing us to a metaphor he's going to use from this point on through, through chapter 5, verse 2. And the metaphor is you've come to Jesus, and he said, before you've come to Jesus, it's like you were wearing tattered, ragged, dirty, uh, uh, you know, clothes with holes in them. Uh, spoiled, uh, uh, just kind of rotten. He says, so now you're coming to, we need to take off those old clothes and we need to put on some new clothes. Like you're coming to school with Jesus, we got a dress code here, right? Dress for success, right? So we're gonna put on some new things. And so he says, you need to put off your old self. Now in the Greek, the word old self is literally old man. Think old humanity, old Adam the old Adam, the old fa the fallen race that we were all once a part of. We're going to put off the old man, the old humanity, and we're going to become like Jesus, who's the model of this new race. So we're going to put off the old man. We're going to put on the new humanity, the new man uh, fashioned after Christ. And so he says, uh, we're going to be uh, in verse uh, 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old, uh, your old man, your old humanity, and catch this, which is being corrupted, it's ongoing, this kind of degenerative power, by its deceitful desires. And so he says, the old man, the old humanity, the reason this degeneration is taking place, 
Why do we keep moving towards the darkness instead of the light? Well, because we're born with these fallen human desires. And he says, at their core, they're deceitful. They promise us happiness, but they lie to us. For example, when someone hurts you, you want to get revenge, right? That's your natural human desire. And the promise is, if you, if you get angry and stay angry, you will be happy, right? How does that work out in real life? You ever met a person that's just still angry over something that happened 30 years ago, and they're just so angry about it, and it just defines their life? It's not, it's not making them happy. And yet the deceit is, if you, have you ever met a gossip? I won't ask you if you are one, but have you ever <laughs> met one? It's like they really believe if they will share insider information, it will make them happy. In the end, it just everyone knows they're a gossip not to trust them. What they want is relationship. The promise is gossip will get you what you want. People will want to know you if you have inside information. Over time, it's a deceitful desire. The more you become known as a gossip, everyone pulls away from you. You don't get relationship. You see, your desire is for money. Money will make me happy. You buy into that. It's a lie. The more you serve money, the unhappier you will be get. You might get richer, but you won't get more happy. You see? See, the desires of the dark side are deceitful. And Paul says that's what drives the fallen world. This is these fallen desires that promise us happiness but can't deliver. And so he goes on. And he says, instead of that, verse 24, here's what we need to do. We need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. This is what I call rethink. He said, we're going to have to rethink our whole approach to life and we have to put on the new man, the new humanity, that's created to be like home. Okay? So we're going to talk about this later, but God's vision for your life is much bigger than you may think. The vision is not just to be saved and go to heaven. His vision is for you to be recreated. Right? And to become the person you were created to be, and he describes that you become like God in true righteousness and holiness. Sometimes you're going to, be, you're going to finally be right. Your life is not going to be broken. You don't need to be fixed. You're not wrong. You're finally right. And you're, you're finally holy as, as opposed to impure, uh, polluted, defaced, uh, not what you're created to be. All right? So, so that's the passage. Paul says, okay, hey, we're about to go into a really practical section here. He says, before we go in, uh, kind of basic ground rules. Speaking to you as an apostle of Jesus, this is not my suggestion. This is a command. You need to let go of your old way of thinking the way the Gentiles do. They're in the dark. They're ignorant. Their, their lives are futile. Uh, they're being driven by deceitful desire. You need to let go of that. You need to kind of rethink your whole approach to life. Enter the school of Jesus. Let him teach you. As you do that, you'll be transformed. You'll live this new life. You'll become like God so you can live the epic life you're created to live. That's the passage, right? Now, uh, what he's going to do from this point on is uh, he's going to go on from this, this section that starts at 4.17 and goes through 5.2. He's going to give us six great examples. Very practical. What does it look like to put off the old, put on the new? What's it look like to be renewed in our mind? And so he's going to talk to us about integrity. He's going to talk to us about anger. He's going to talk to us about work ethic and generosity. 
He's going to talk to us about the power of words. He's going to talk to us about learning to listen to the Holy Spirit, and he's going to talk to us about forgiveness. And so what we're going to do is over the next eight weeks, we're going to unpack this passage, right? I mean, one topic uh, at a time. And uh, it's going to be powerful. As Paul gives illustration, okay, what does it look like to put off the old, put on the new, experience epic life? Here's some examples, right? So, but what I want to do today, in order to move into that, those practical examples, we need to understand this groundwork that Paul is laying. And I want to highlight three powerful principles that you, it's in, if you don't get this, you will not be able to move in the epic life that he's got for you to live. So there in your note sheet is a section called Epic, the New Creation. So here we go. Number one. God's vision you're for your life. God's vision is what I call recreation. Okay? Not recreation. Re-creation. And here's what I want you to catch. God's vision for your life and my life is much bigger than we would ever dare to dream. I don't know what your vision is for your life, but I guarantee you it's too small. That what we've been learning all the way through Ephesians is that God's vision for our life is big. Now, let me, let me kind of illustrate like this. If I were to ask you, what does it mean to become a Christian? I want you to think to yourself, not aloud, but think to yourself, how would you answer that? And my guess is that for many of us, at least in the room, we would answer like this. That, well, to become a Christian means you believe in Jesus, you ask him into your heart to be your savior, so that your sins can be forgiven, so when you die, you can go to heaven. Here's what I want you to catch. That is not necessarily wrong, but it's incredibly short-sighted. It's incredibly small. It is anemic, it's truncated, it's anorexic, right? And, and this is the vision that we've been sharing with the world around us for so many years. This is a vision. Hey, this, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means this. And we share this, and the vision is so small, it doesn't captivate the human heart. Because we're like, well, what, what, what about this time in the meantime? What about this world? What about what's going over in, you know, Bosnia? What's going on in, in, in South Africa? Or what about, like, it just, the vision seems kind of small, Right? And what we've been learning through Ephesians is not that that's wrong, it's just, it's, it's just painfully too small. It doesn't capture the human heart. So what we've been learning through Ephesians is that God's vision is restore all of creation to its design specs. God, God, God's, God's vision is to restore you and I to be the people we were created to be. God's vision is to heal all of creation. God's vision is that the knowledge of the Lord would fill the earth as the waters fill the sea. God's vision is that all creation will be healed and restored and made new. That's why the end of this story ends in a new heavens and a new earth. And God's vision is that when you become a part of the movement of Jesus, when you become a follower of Jesus, you find out that you were chosen before time began to play an important role. And that you have not just been forgiven, you've been adopted into his family, gifted by his spirit, and you play an important part in bringing all creation under the healed universe of King Jesus. Amen. 
right? That's his vision for your life. And part of that vision then requires transformation. And that's what Paul, Paul says, what does it mean to be a Christian? I, I get saved so I go to heaven. No. You get saved so you can be recreated, reshaped, re-energized, transformed, become like God again, so you can be a, a powerful force for light and truth and righteousness in culture now, help change the world now, and when Jesus comes, get ready to rule for him. You see? That this life, we are learning how to rule well our smaller kingdoms, so when Jesus comes back, we can rule well the larger kingdom. You see? And so this is what Paul is talking about. I want you to see this in 4.23 and 4.24. Paul says in 22 that we were taught with our former way of life to put off the old self was being corrupted. 23, and we're going to be made new in the attitude of our minds, and we're going to put on this new self, this new humanity. Catch us, created to be like whom? Like God. God's vision for your life is not just to be forgiven and screwed up. <laughs> you know, often this is how we see it. When did you get saved? 1967. <laughs> awesome. God done anything then? Nope, just waiting for heaven. <laughs> yeah, I can pretty much tell just by hanging out. Like you're pretty much, I don't know what you were like then. I guess you're probably nicer then. Probably excited for Jesus, you know? Now you're just kind of screwed up, waiting for heaven, right? Like, God's vision is to restore us to design specs. God's vision is to restore us to be the people we're created to be. People like God, people that think like he thinks, that value what he values, that care about what he cares about, that have his character, that has his vision, that's working for the same goals. God wants to restore us. That's his vision. Now, I mentioned this a couple times, so I'm going to keep on mentioning it until we all get it. The book of Colossians is written, the letter of Colossians, written the same time as the letter of Ephesians. Same author, same time, to same location. Colossae is not very far from Ephesus. And so there's a huge, as much as 75% of one book is in the other, in terms of content. So if there's ever a topic you're talking like, I wonder... What Paul means here, often you can go to Colossians, very likely he'll be saying the same thing in different words that help you understand it. And so this is a great example. In Colossians 3 is where Paul starts getting practical, instead of chapter 4 of Ephesians where he gets practical. And in Colossians 3, Paul puts it like this. He says, do not lie to each other since you've taken off, uh, and in the Greek it's the same word, put off, since you've put off your old self, again, your old man, your old humanity, with its practices, you've taken that off, and you put on the new self, the new humanity, which is, catches being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. Did you catch that? Which is what? Being renewed. Present tense. Right here, right now. So when you come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in your life and he begins a transformation process. And for those of you who you came to Christ later in life, you can remember this. When you, when you came to Jesus, things began changing, didn't they? It's like no one needed to tell you to change. They just started changing. Things that seemed wrong before now seemed right. Things that seemed brilliant before now seemed stupid. Right? 
Like, like you just begin, things just begin to change. People around you begin to ask, like, hey, what's with you? Like, things begin to change. And it wasn't just someone taught you and you're like, okay, I'm going to do that. It's just perspective. What happened is that you began to be enlightened. You were in the dark before, darkened in understanding. You were ignorant. But for the first time in your life, the light's going on and you're seeing clearly. And you're like, oh, I get it, right? Okay, so abortion is really not really a form of birth control. I mean, that really made sense before. Hey, before, it really made sense to me that just this huge explosion and everything just happened on its own. Amazing complexity came out of uh, random chaos. It, it totally made sense to me. I mean, it made sense. Just area after area. You know, things that seem right, I seem wrong. Things that seem wrong seem right. The Bible actually describes this in 2 Corinthians. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, let me know this verse. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new Creation, right? Use the creation metaphor. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in, do you know in the chapter before that, chapter four, Paul says that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, it's like the creation event again. He says, uh, the God who said, let there be light, and in the new creation brought light, he said, the God who said, let there be light, he has now said, let there be light in our lives. It's a new creation. And so when a man or woman comes to Jesus, like the lights go on for the first time and you began to see clearly. And so as we move towards that, as we move towards that light, then we begin to be transformed. We begin to be changed. We begin to become like God. And so because God's vision for your life is not just salvation in the sense, in the way we often mean it, going to heaven. The Bible uses salvation much broader, by the way. By the way, we mean it. Uh, his vision is a total recreation of your life. And it starts now. Not when he comes back, it starts now. Okay. Number two. So how does this happen? Uh, well, the key to this transformation then is number two. This, tra- it, this requires a new mindset. That if we're going to be transformed, if we're going to be changed, if we become like God, if we're going to live this epic life we're called to live, that we have to go through a, a kind of a mental uh, a, a new mindset, a whole new mindset, a whole new perspective on life. And of course, this is what Paul says is the problem. If you look at 417, he says, in the Gentile world, the problem is they're operating in the dark, right? I insist on it in the Lord. You no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their what? Thinking. Right? They are darkened in their understanding. Separate because of the life of God because of the ignorance is in them. Paul says, the problem is, is that they're operating in the dark. When Jesus comes in, light goes on, uh, you now move into the school of Jesus. And what happens is, as we move in the school of, te- of Jesus, we begin being taught. So look at the analogy he uses, 420. 420, he says, you, however, did not come to know, look at the knowledge word, to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and you were taught, see the taught word, in accordance with the truth, get the truth word, in Jesus, you were taught, there's the taught teaching again, with regard to your former life to put it off, okay, put off the old way. So, so, Apostle, so, so the Gentile word is in darkness. When you come to Jesus, lights start going on. You enter into the school of Jesus and what happens is that, that he begins to enlighten you. And as he enlightens you, you can see clearly and you can start making different choices And he says, this is the key. The key to being transformed 
is this renewing of our mind. And so in verse 23, he says, we're to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Now, this is another topic where Paul expands on in Romans 12, in the book of Romans. Uh, in the book of Romans, also epic in content, starts with here's the, the problem with the human race, our sin. Here's God's solution, sending Jesus to rescue us. We, we not only receive forgiveness, we die to our old self. In baptism, we receive the gift of his spirit because his power to live a new life until he comes back and turns all wrongs to right and, and recreates all things. That's chapters one through eight. Chapter nine through 11, what about the Jews? Okay, sidebar, come back. In chapter 12 of Romans is where Paul starts talking about how to live this out in everyday life. So chapter 12 of Romans equals chapter four of Ephesians. That's where he gets practical. And in chapter 12, look how he starts his instruction of how to follow Jesus. He starts exactly the same place as Ephesians we've seen today. There in your note sheet, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this what? world. So remember what Paul said back in Ephesians 2. He said, before you came to Jesus, he said, you were spiritually dead. Remember that? Spiritually dead. And he said, you were following the ways of this world. You were under the leadership of Satan himself, he said. You were kind of carrying out your fallen desires. So we come to Jesus now. So Paul is saying, okay, so Okay, so now, if we're going to be transformed, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And, and what he, that, it's interesting, that, that uh, verb, do not, um, do not conform, in the Greek, it's all one word, and uh, the, it's the word that we get our word schematic from. Okay? So if you ever read like an electric, electrical schematic of some kind of device, or you think of a, kind of a scheme, uh, here's our scheme, that word scheme for this, it's our plan. So he says, is, is the world has a scheme. The world has a schematic. There's an architectural design behind this fallen world. Satan's behind it. He's kind of designed it to take us down certain paths. So he says, as followers of Jesus, if you're going to move into the epic future, you can't conform to the schematic anymore. He says, but instead of that, you want to be transformed. Now, says, so don't be conformed, be transformed. Now, I will give you this Greek word. The Greek word for transformed, metamorpho. What, what word do we get from that? Metamorphosis. What is metamorphosis? Go back to high school biology. It's the process that a tadpole goes through on its way to becoming a frog. Good. Some of you are going, a butterfly? No, that's the other one. Uh, okay. Uh, Metamorphosis is the process a caterpillar goes through on the way to becoming a frog. <laughs> frog. Yeah, good. Right. Yeah, <laughs> butterfly, right? So it's a transformation process. Metamorphosis. And so Paul says, don't be conformed to the old schematic. Be transformed, change, go through a change process. How does that happen? He says, be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. There we go. See, just like Ephesians 4, and he says, he says when that happens... You'll be able to test and approve. I like the word demonstrate or experience. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what he's saying is you've come to Jesus now. God has a will. He's not talking about a specific will for your life. Necessarily. He's talking about a, a way life is to be lived, this life of God. He says you've come to Jesus. In order to move into your future, you need to be 
not conform. You need to be transformed, metamorphosed, changed. How does that change happen? It happens as your mind is renewed. And so what happens as we enter in the school of Jesus, and, and then when this is what we do every week. When we come to, together every weekend, we are entering into the school of Jesus. This is what we're doing. We're, we're entering into here. We're coming under the authority of Jesus as our leader. We're coming, uh, we're asking Jesus, will you teach us how to live? We're unpacking his word, the Holy Spirit speaking. Every week, we come here to the school of Jesus. Every week, Jesus is here. Every week, Jesus is teaching. Like everywhere, he's opening eyes. He's enlightening. He's opening up darkness. That's what happens when we come. And what Paul says is as we move towards the light that Jesus is revealing, we are transformed. We become like God, and now we can experience the epic life we were designed to live. Of course, the opposite is equally true. Catch this. There is absolutely no benefit in knowing the light of God if you choose not to walk in light. In fact, it's to your damnation. Because if, if God speaks and says, this is the way, walk in it, and you go, no, I'm, I'm going in darkness, you have now lost the light you had before. You're further away from where you started. And so Paul wants us to understand that if we're going to move in this future, we got to get this, that the key is to rethink our lives. We need a whole new mindset. You say, what? You say, Opinions, yes. Values, yes. Perspectives, yes. Priorities, yes. Habits, yes. It's the whole thing. And as we come into the school of Jesus, he's going to teach us. And as we move towards the light, we're transformed. We move in the life we have, this epic life we're created to live. Now, number three. The third principle is that the old mindset is toxic. It's deadly. It's not neutral. It's deadly. Uh, Paul is described that he's called he's called it futile. He's called it worthless. He's called it empty. He's he's described it as ignorant. He's described it as deceitful. But what I want you to catch is the old mindset is not only toxic and deadly. It is progressive. It's like a degenerative disease to which there is no solution. You go to the doctor. He says you've got this disease. It's degenerative. What's he say? He say it's going to go downhill from this point. Apart from an act of God, it's going downhill from this point. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And Paul says our fallen human nature, the old humanity, is degenerative by nature. It's like water does not flow uphill. The old nature doesn't get better. The further you walk in the darkness, the more damaging it becomes. It's just the way it is. And so he says, he points this out in verse 22. He says, you were taught with your regard to your former way of life to put off your old humanity, catch this, which is being corrupted. Okay? Present tense. He says, the old humanity, remember we, we talked about sexual sin, it's true of sexual sin, it's true of all sin. Sexual sin, the more you go down the path, the more you want to go down the path. He says, the old humanity is destructive, it's toxic. And if you don't put it off, you don't become more like Jesus, the longer you become less like Jesus. So, so let me give you an illustration. The longer you hold on to your anger, the angrier you get. The longer you hold on to your bitterness, 
the more bitter you get. The longer you hold on to your laziness, the lazier you get. The old humanity flows one way. It's downhill. So here's what I want you to catch. That when Jesus turns up the light for us in an area of our life, the school of Jesus, and when we choose not to move towards the light, but to move away, we don't say the same. We become worse. And this is powerful. And this explains why sometimes you can meet a person who's been a Christian for so long, and they're so little like Jesus. There are certain people that I could introduce you to that if you were to know their story, that when they, they were way like, more like Jesus 40 years ago than now. They came to Christ, Holy Spirit came to life, began transforming them. There was a new love, there was a new power, there was a new uh, kind of mercy, a new tenderness, whatever. They, they were growing and changing, and somewhere along the line, they stopped putting off the old. And here's what I want you to catch. When God turns up the light and you do not put off the old, by definition, by definition, you are holding on to the old. Are you in there? We often think in terms of neutral. Hey, I just went to church. I said God was convicting me of this, um, but I'm not ready to make that decision, so I'm just going to think about that. And we think we remain the same. We think we can come back uh, and just keep resisting the Holy Spirit. We think we can, just, we can just do that, and then we stay the same. And then I can do that for a year and come back. I'll be the same a year from now, and then I can make the decision. It doesn't work that way. When the Holy Spirit's speaking and you're resisting, your heart is becoming hard. And what happens a year from now, you don't even care about that issue anymore. You have now justified that issue. You have now become that kind of a person. You have a new baseline. You used to be this mean. Now you're meaner. And when you were here, you didn't think you were that bad. And now you don't think you're that bad. But you've changed. And you didn't realize it. You thought you could stay in the same place and reject the light of God, and you could still be like Jesus, or at least no worse. It is, doesn't work that way. When you reject the truth that Jesus is delivering and you turn from the light, your heart becomes hard, light goes out, there becomes a new norm for you, and that's why you meet someone who's met with, been following Jesus for 40, 50, 60 years, and they are a grouchy, old, mean, harsh person. You say, how did that happen? Is Jesus responsible? Because if he did that in your life, I don't want any part of it. If that's what Jesus does, you follow him for 50 years and you end up like that, not a very good advertisement. <laughs> but of course, that's not what happened. What's happening is this person has been in church for 50 years, in the school of Jesus for 50 years. And they have a lot more mental knowledge and theology, but they never surrendered to God's work in their life. And so they just became harder and harder hearted as they went along. You know, this, this uh, fall, you know, we opened this new facility here, right? 
So in November, we opened up, and it was, it was a big deal. Like, it was something we've been working on for years. So many of you have worked hard. You've given generously. It's something we dreamed about, to have a place where we had room to grow, where we, we had a place where people don't know Jesus could come and have a seat, right? And so we were so excited. And, of course, when that day came, mid-November, uh, most of us had never seen it. I mean, I had, but most of us here had never seen it. And so everyone's excited to come, and I knew that. And I knew that people would come early, and it was November, and it gets dark early, and it gets cold. And so I sent an email out that week uh, to the whole church and saying, hey, this weekend we're opening the doors uh, into the lobby 45 minutes before, uh, before we start at 5.30. And I just did that because I want people standing in the cold out there and being frustrated, right? So man, and I knew that we had all this work inside to do. We had bookstores still going up, signs are going up, and we just, we're trying to slide in under the tag, have this thing ready to go for that weekend. And so uh, sort of the weekend comes, and of course, it's an amazing weekend, right? It's uh, just, you know, God shows up. Remember, we talked about the, about the presence of God and proclamation. We asked God to come. We gave this place to him, gave our lives to him. And it was an amazing weekend, and God showed up. And so afterwards, uh, on Monday, I come in. I'm talking to my assistant, and we're celebrating the weekend, all the wins. She says, she says, probably one thing you should know. All right. She goes, well, and she began telling this story that uh, on that Saturday afternoon, that, of course, people were coming, you know, early. They were coming early. They are excited to be here. No problem with that. Um, but, uh, you know, most people are outside just chilling, right, kind of waiting, just want to get in first, be some of the first to get that. But there were some people that were, they, they, they were up against the glass. And they were mad. They were mad. They were mad. Why are these doors? There's mad. And if you happen to be going away on the inside, it's like if you happen to glance up, you're dead. Like, they are just, like, giving it to you, you know. And, and so I, my sister's telling me this. I'm like, are these our people? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm hoping they're like, maybe Shepherd, uh, you know. Uh, you know. Maybe Discovery, you know. Uh, Church on the Way. I, I don't care. Just somewhere from other here, you know, like. Please don't tell me these are our people acting like, please. And she goes, oh, no, they're our people. I recognize them. <laughs> and so I said, what happened? And she said, well, we decided, a couple of us, you know, um, on staff, we decided, she and one of our friends that, you know, both you know, great women that, you know, really kind and generous women, they said, hey, uh, why don't we go, and they decided to go outside and just tell these people, hey, you know, we know you want to get in, but it's going to be 45 minutes before, so just so you know, just to kind of help them relax, right, and kind of, kind of relieve this tension. So they go out there, and they spread the word. Of course, there's a lot of people. And, of course, most of the people are great. Hey, thanks a lot. But not the people on the glass. <laughs> they are madder now. They are madder. This is our church. We paid for this, you know. I mean, we, they are madder. And as they're walking away, one woman says to her buddy, she says, these young girls... They're on a power trip. <laughs> now she's telling me this, and I'm thinking, are, are you serious? These are followers of Jesus, gone here for a long time. I said, do you, do you know this woman? She goes, oh yeah, I know her. And she, she says, she often does stuff like this. She says, in fact, the first time I came to Rocky Peaks, when I met her. Now let me, let me explain it. My assistant the first time she came to Rocky Peak was seven years ago. And seven years ago, she was not a Christian. Seven years ago, she and her husband were not Christians. They were going through a hard time, not churchgoers, not been raised that way. And God drew them here to meet Jesus. Right? 
So seven years ago, it's her very first time in church. It's this, this building. Of course, it looked different. She, they came early, so of course the place was empty. And <laughs> you just look at, hey, you're not from around here, are you? you know, uh, and, this, and, and she's feeling intimidated. You know, it's like they've never been in a church this big. And I'm feeling intimidated, and there's all these empty, I don't know where you're sitting, I don't know what's going to happen, what's happening in the service, I'm feeling intimidated. So there's a whole bunch of empty seats in the back, no Bibles on them, no programs on them. And they decide, okay, well, I'll just sit here. So she sits down nervous, afraid, kind of hungry for God, but she's not sure how, doesn't know Jesus, but just coming, seeking. Seven years ago, this same lady came up to her and said, what are you doing? That's my seat. You're going to have to move. That's Rocky Peak, man. We're unleashing a movement, a passionate Christ follower. We, we care about lost people here. We just want to greet the people Jesus sends, right? And you hear a story like that, and you say, wait, how could this be? How could someone be here a minimum of seven years in the school of Jesus, seven years of under his leadership, following Jesus for way longer than that? But how could a person be so unlike Jesus who claims to be a follower of Jesus? And before we start pointing fingers or go high and mighty or judgmental, here's my question for you as we enter this series, this next section is it how do you respond to the truth of Jesus when he brings it in your life? When Jesus says, hey, here's an issue, it's, it's, it's pornography, it's, just, it's, it's deceitful. I know it feels good, it promises you happiness, but I promise it will not make you happy. When Jesus comes and says, hey, you may have never noticed, you have a tendency to gossip, and it's not gonna, it's not gonna get you what you want. When Jesus comes to you, you hold on to your money so tight. You don't give to my kingdom. You don't care about poor people. Your money has become your God. You need to start trusting me. When Jesus comes and says, hey, I've gifted you uniquely. Your priorities are out of whack. You need to seek me for what? A more balanced life and serving my kingdom. Look, when he comes to you, the question I have is do you move towards the light, even if it's hard, and embrace that truth? and let him renew your mind and be transformed? Or do you say, okay, well, I'm not sure. Let me think about that. And pretty soon, we've moved down here, and we're no longer thinking about it because it no longer bothers us. We no longer even hear him anymore. And we have changed, but not for the better. We have been conformed to the world. We've, we've, we've pursued the wrong things. So here's what I want to challenge you. The next seven, eight, next eight weeks, uh, not counting Easter, we're going to be rolling up our sleeves, and we're going to be diving into these specific examples, and Paul's going to get very real. He's going to integrity, anger, workplace, words, forgiveness, listen to the Holy Spirit, practical stuff. And here's the challenge I want to give to you. The end of those eight weeks, you could either, either be significantly changed and transformed and on a path that's going to make you more like God and experience this epic life, or you can be the same person then as you are today, except worse. 
And so before we're quick to jump on one person, we need to turn that light back on ourselves. And we need to say, hey, in my life, am I in the school of Jesus? Am I listening well? And am I becoming more and more like God every year I follow him? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I just want to thank you for this time. And I thank you for the power of your word and how, you know, in Hebrews it says that your word is like a double-edged sword. It just kind of separates the truth from error. And God, I love the power of your word, the beauty, the brilliance, the wisdom of your word and how it speaks and leads us to the path of life. And God, we want to be a church of people that are becoming transformed, people that are moving greater and greater, like more love, more compassion, more passion, um, more purity, uh, more grace, um, more and more like you, more courageous. Um, We want to be a people that are transformed to be like you. God, we're sick of being like the world. We, We want to enter the school of Jesus. We want more of Jesus, less of the world. And so, God, we pray that as we worship now, as we bring your offerings, you would give us Jesus. And we pray in these next eight weeks that just every week you would give us more of Jesus, that he would be front and center as our teacher, that he would be unpacking the truth. We would go to the school of Jesus, and as you revealed truth, we'd move towards light, be transformed, rethink the way we've been doing life, become a little bit more like you, and begin to experience this epic vision that you have for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship. It's rising. It's rising. The hope of the redeemed. Did you catch that line? To usher in the kingdom. To usher in the kingdom. We are the advance guard. We're the vanguard of the kingdom. And our job is to expand that kingdom, to take the message of Jesus to those who don't know him, to cast a compelling vision of God's plan to restore all of creation and turn all wrongs to right. That we're part of that movement now. It will be continue when Jesus comes back to restore all of creation, to heal all things under his leadership, that forever we might live under that leadership of our true king. It's rising. And my prayer is that here at Rocky Peak, that vision would rise. And it would rise in our hearts and we would rise to mean it. And we would put off the old and we'd put on the new and we would let God retreat renew and transform our minds that we might usher in the kingdom here and now in this time and place that history would be different because we are here. Amen? Amen. And so may it rise in you. May it rise in you and may you rise to meet it. May you live lives worthy of the gospel. May you live lives worthy of this epic calling. May you be transformed, putting off the old, putting on the new, by the renewing of your mind, become more like God this week and every week until we are there to usher in the kingdom. Amen? God bless you. Have a great week. Don't forget prayer on your right if you need it. We'll see you next week.